When most Americans think of agriculture, they might imagine fields of corn or wheat, or maybe herds of cattle or broods of chickens. Perhaps they even stop to consider the regulations that determine what foods are safe to eat. What they might not spend much time thinking about are the agencies that oversee farming and food in the United States. The work of one such agency, the United States Department of Agriculture, or USDA, is the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, and the American Statistical Association. Joining me in the studio is regular panelist John Baylor, chair of Miami Statistics Department. Dr. Richard Campbell, chair of Media, Journalism, and Film, is out of town today. Our guest is Linda Young. Young is Chief Mathematical Statistician and Director of Research and Development for USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service, or NAS. Thank you so much for being here today, Linda. Thank you for having me. To help our listeners understand the work of your particular arm of USDA, could you explain the kinds of information NAS is charged with gathering? We have two primary responsibilities. The first is the Census of Agriculture, which is conducted every five years in years ending in two and seven. So we're preparing right now to send out about three million questionnaires at the end of this year. And this census gives us information about the types of farms that are in the U.S., the types of people who are running them, their characteristics, the demographics, and it provides a foundation for policymakers. So the Farm Bill is is based on a lot of information that's produced from the census. The other major component that we have is the estimates program. So we produce estimates of the number of acres that and the production, the yield for all types of crops. We conduct over 100 surveys a year, produce more than 400 reports on all aspects of American agriculture. One thing that people may be aware of are the commodity markets. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. um, the numbers that we produce are very influential in those markets. Okay. Wow. That's, you know, NASA is something that, that I think probably has influenced my life a lot in ways that I just can't appreciate, <laughs> Linda. <laughs> you know, so, I, think I think I did not realize how much Ness did until I joined. <laughs> you know, I, I just am impressed. That, you know, I didn't realize that there was going to be every five years a census of agricultural production in the U.S. So can you, can you say a little bit more about, about how, do you, how do you even find the three million farms? Or I, I assume when you said three million questionnaires that those are you, – you have a sense of the three million – people that are working, entities that are working and producing. That's our big challenge is just trying to find farms because a farm, by definition, is any operation that has the potential to produce $1,000 or more in sales in any given year. Oh, wow. Oh, my. Think about it. The person doing the big backyard garden is a farmer. So we keep this list as complete as possible of all farms or potential farms in the U.S. Some of the things on the people on the list aren't really farmers, but we keep sent, we send out the information until we can either confirm it one way or the other. Last, uh, in 2012, we found 2.1 million farms. Now that included adjustments that we had to make for under coverage of our list, non-response, as well as some misclassification of farms. So that 
I'm not surprised. That, that was going to be one of my, my next questions were issues of, you know, what kind of response rates do you get when you send this out? I mean, are you sending, do you send this out in waves? Are you sending out the, the multiple million by mail and then following up with calls or following up with other, other ways to try to promote this? We have quite a campaign going on. We, there are all kinds of producer groups that help us get the word out. It's on our website. But what we do is we start with a wave of letters and we're opening up a website. We've, uh, the big push this time is a new census web form mm-hmm. that's more responsive and take, should be easier oh, for okay. people to use. And so we send out waves of letters saying, here's, your, a bit, here's how you can get on the web and record your information. Then we follow with the paper questionnaires and those two come out in waves, and then we just get ready and uh, to collect the data and then analyze the data. Now, Linda, there are a lot of agencies that are um, feeling kind of a push to um, do more to sort of get the word out about what it is they do and also sort of help people understand how they can access their data set. Are there things that NASA is doing to sort of raise the the visibility of the of the work the agency does and to sort of help make sure that reporters or, or researchers know what data is available to them? Historically, NAS has made a big effort to keep in contact with its data users. There's a data users meeting every year in October that people are welcome to come and get information. We have an advisory committee with people from the farming industry that uh, meets once a year and provides uh, suggestions for improvement. We uh, are in constant contact with the different uh, commodity groups Mm -hmm. who uh, are interested in what we're doing and how they can better help us get uh, good statistics out. And so it's quite a diverse approach that NASH uses. It seems like you would have to. So I, I didn't realize that the census of farms was happening every five years in the in these sort of odd numbered year, well, I guess not odd number twelve two is a is a, an even number, but I I think so I I just I don't think I realized that these censuses were happening quite so frequently. I think why 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 do you think that um, maybe I'm I'm assuming I'm not the only American who doesn't realize that. Why do you think maybe Americans might not be as aware of sort of the the work your agency does to sort of count the farms? Well, as people move increasingly to cities, I think they've become a little more disconnected. And actually, Mm. a small percentage of the population is actually involved Mm. in agriculture now. Although I see signs that that's changing. Urban agriculture is getting more and more attention, as is organic farming and local food. So I think over time that could change. So are are you you estimating characteristics such as the growth of urban agriculture or the growth you know, the, the local uh, farm to foods m- movement? Is that something that you can capture in some of the data that you guys collect? That's one of the things that we're working on right now. We've been putting out an organics uh, survey and report for a few years now. We just, I think it was 2015, which uh, survey, which meant it was published last year on local foods marketing. We haven't done anything on urban agriculture except for a pilot study. There are some real challenges with that because our list frame, it's extremely hard to find the small 
farms that are as widely dispersed as those that tend to occur in urban areas. So there's some real challenges there and is an active area of research for me right now. I'm just really intrigued at the idea of trying to figure out how many people have a have the potential to have a thousand dollars of of product produced on land that they own and possibly work. I mean that that is one of our real challenges with some of our estimates, especially when it comes to the census and why misclassification is an issue for mm. us. Yeah. And in fact, uh, we revised our analysis in 2012 uh, to try to better capture uh, undercoverage, non-response, and misclassification. You're listening to Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. The topic today, agricultural statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Joining me is panelist Miami University Statistics Department Chair John Baylor. Our special guest is Linda Young, Chief Mathematical Statistician and Director of Research and Development of USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service, or NAS. Linda, of course, I am, I'm sort of the journalistic end of this uh, today, especially because Richard is not here. I'm a former journalist um, and, and did some work covering issues around farming uh, when I worked in, in Alabama uh, for a while. And I wonder, from your perspective, what do you think are some of the underexplored or underreported stories that are hiding in your, the data that your agency gathers? There are a number of issues that are facing agriculture today that one could explore with the numbers and uh, people are very interested in. One is that the average age of farmers has been increasing. And that's a major concern because who's going to produce food in the future if people age out of the system. And yet, uh, after the last census, we were questioned about the way we were capturing the demographic information and and had a couple of panels and have revised that section. And I do think that uh, as a consequence, we're going to better reflect the participation of women and beginning farmers. Ah, that's interesting. I don't think that the, not necessarily the age of the oldest farmer is going to change, but I do think we're going to be able to better reflect the evolving nature of, of farming, which is a major concern. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that, that in talking to people that have done work with occupational safety and health is that farming can be a pretty dangerous occupation in terms of, you know, working alone and working with heavy machinery and their, their, the rates of injury can be relatively high in such, in such workforces. Do you guys track any of that as part of it? I, I know that CDC NIOSH does some of that, but I was wondering if you guys get involved in that as well. I don't think so, John. At least I've never worked on any of the surveys related to that. Okay. Not not completely surprising. And now, how long have you been at NAS, Linda? Four years. Four years. What was the What was the biggest surprise that you learned when you joined that that group? Just that, you know, whenever you change a, a jobs, it's a new culture, and mm. it's just the culture. Uh, it's just a little different. Heart, not good, not bad, just different. Okay. How about in terms of the work of NAS, the thing that you didn't you didn't realize bef- before you started there that kind of popped up and you went, wow, I, d- I didn't realize NAS did that? Actually, I had worked uh, on a contract with them for about uh, four years before joining. So 
there weren't a lot of surprises in that way for me. <laughs> One of the things that I found surprising when I was on NASA's website was that there was a section um, about um, information about hurricanes um, and sort of the impact of hurricanes. I'm, I, I didn't dig around too terribly much, but are there things that, that you are gathering at NASA or keeping track of that you think um, people might find surprising that maybe you don't find surprising because you've been there for such, a, for such a long time, but maybe data that people might find surprising or compelling um, that might be useful to them? Well, one of the things that we've just done recently that we're uh, proud to be able to help is that uh, information on the impact of Harvey and Irma on the crops. Mm -hmm. Now, we what we've done is provide information about the a number of acres or the at least a percentage of acres for different crops that have been inundated with water as a consequence of those two hurricanes mm-hmm. which is is useful to a number of people and we were able to do that using uh, some uh, radar imagery satellite radar imagery okay oh, cool. and uh, yes and so uh, a couple of people in my division worked really hard over some weekends to try to get that out in a timely fashion. Oh, that, that's very neat. So so what, what are the types of statistical methods that, that someone would need to know in order to, to work for NAS? Well, we do a lot of surveys. So mm-hmm. survey, sample surveys are always really nice. We still do use the probability-based surveys. However, more and more we're looking at modeling, and in 2012, We actually put in place a new set of methods for the census of agriculture based on capture recapture. And that had a lot of modeling involved with it. And then uh, we're increasingly developing models that will combine information, not just our survey data, but some administrative data that we have so that we can put all the information together to get a really good estimate with a valid measure of uncertainty. So what about the... I, I got to know more about capture recapture. Are you, <laughs> is this in, is this in terms of the the people that are that are working in the the business, or what what do you, what was capture recapture used to do? Well, uh, our list frame, as hard as we work, and although that there are over three million people <laughs> listed on that list frame, we've missed some people. Mm. So we also have an area frame that covers all the U.S. And prior to 2012, we assumed that. Because of that, if they if we missed them on the list frame, we could use area frame to figure out who had been what how many had been missed. And the problem was that we had misclassification because those little farms go in and out of business. Oh. Sometimes they're yeah. a little over a thousand, sometimes a little under a thousand. And so uh, we developed uh, that that's what got me excited and actually mm-hmm. led to my joining NAS oh, is okay. we developed an approach where we could, quantify both under coverage, non-response, and that misclassification using capture-recapture between the list frame and a sample that we take every June off the June area, off the NAS area frame. Oh, very cool. You know, some people listening to this might might not know some of those those terms, those technical terms. Could you, so could you define kind of what a list frame is and what an area frame is? So a list frame is is as you would think it's a list uh, and in our case it's a list of all the farms in the u.s that we know of farms or potential farms mm-hmm. the problem is if you think about it 
how can you keep up? You, right. There are all these small farms, especially the urban farms coming into business, going out of business. So although we devote a lot of resources to this, there's some incompleteness in the list and we have things on the list that aren't really farms. The area frame is is thinking about just looking at all of the U.S. and and that's the area that we're covering. We don't cover Alaska, but we cover hmm. uh, Hawaii and the contiguous U.S. Hmm. And so we divide those into little areas, and those are that makes up our area frame. So by definition, you've covered the whole thing. It's just whether you identify the farms that are there when you okay. show up. Yeah. I, I'm wondering, since you mentioned the use of satellite and radar for the the information about the crops impacted by Harvey and Irma, uh, is NAS exploring or using sort of satellite imagery to sort of help supplement these lists that they're creating to sort of map? So here's where we see there might be agricultural land, and then looking at the list and saying, oh, yes, we, we have an idea that this is where a farm should be. Hmm. We would like to move more and more in that direction. The challenge that we face is that um, we've tried to use satellite imagery to actually develop a list and and, and used web scraping as well to mm-hmm. do a third type of list. Yeah. And the challenge is that if with the satellite imagery we can afford, you can't see whether or not it's a problem. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is you need more money. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so people have said, well, use drones to fly over. And uh, there's the confidentiality issues. Oh, yeah, those of course. crashed on a farmer's farm, and uh, that would be a public relations nightmare that we haven't been willing to face yet. Yeah, I don't blame you. Uh, me neither. <laughs> so, so why not Alaska? For the area frame, yeah, yeah. because farming is sparse and yeah, okay. the resources required to cover Alaska would be immense. I, I you know, I ask in part because of a, a colleague who has a a, a a flower farm in Alaska, mm. who works up there because they're they're able to produce at times that are out of season with many other places in the rest of the world. So now I, we don't do the area frame in Alaska, but we do a list. Ah, uh, okay. So we do report on Alaska, but we just don't use the area frame for that. We've been talking a lot with the people who've been on the program about um, the visualization of data. And I know that on NASA's website, you can access data sets. I was actually playing around earlier today with some of the data about Ohio. And I was wondering if there are things that your agency is considering doing to help visualize data to make it more accessible to maybe the public. We actually have an initiative started to uh, to put more visualization up on our website. Our uh, literature that we send out, we do these fact sheets. They it tends to have more graphics than it used to, and it's it's a work in progress for us. But yes, that is definitely a, a push within our agency. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and our discussion today focuses on agricultural data. Our guest is Chief Mathematical Statistician and Director of Research and Development of USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service, Linda Young. Linda, I'm wondering, obviously as a reporter, a former reporter, um, what do you find frustrating in the way that agricultural data or information is reported in news stories? Sometimes uh, 
the full story's not given, and it. I think people think that it's it should be easy to get these numbers, mm-hmm. and we spend a lot of time and effort <laughs> <laughs> getting about the best we can. But uh, overall, I think that agricultural reporting in the U.S. is pretty good. Oh wow. I, I would think just, just in your descriptions of, of the challenge of adjustments and undercoverage and non-response and using capture-recapture and between comparing different frames, that, that you're adding a lot of nuance to a story. So when you think about reporting out some of this, the statistical nuance, how, how, how difficult is that to try to communicate? Uh, we, I, often in the story, we don't try to overly communicate it. We put out our estimates and the measures of uncertainty, and then in supplementary materials, we write uh, the information about how we come to the estimates. And for the census, that's always in Appendix A, and I spent quite a bit of time getting that uh, written in a way that we felt like communicated the information effectively and uh, accurately. Very good. I you know because I, I I worry sometimes when I, I worry sometimes that when when I read things that read, read reports that the uncertainty estimates are are ignored. I mean in, in essence that the point estimate everyone focuses on that and even though there might be some some bound or some margin of error that it's not attended to. And so I wonder about that that communication. We can communicate it, but it is true that people need often need a number. For example. Yeah. There's an ARCO program in which uh, farmers, if the price of um, of a commodity, say corn, drops below a certain level, then they get a payment. Mm-hmm. Oh. And our num- and well, or the yield, I should say, the yield for their county. And our numbers are used to set the county estimates for yield and production. And wow. production is just the the average yield times the area so it's how much is produced in the county and um, if the 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 yield is below a certain our number they get paid and if it's above our number it doesn't get paid oh, wow. oh boy <laughs> and it and it, it and the uncertainty there is 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 ignored and that's very frustrating because farmers sometimes uh, feel and accurately so that that number is not exactly right. We know it's not. We know it. There's uncertainty associated with it, and if they're not getting paid, they want it lower. And if you know they're happy, they all of them probably would like for it to be lower because <laughs> it means more money. And yet, that's um, I don't know what what else they would do. They have to set a number, and and there has to be a point of, that determines payment. You you clearly have made a case by about why farmers paying attention or anyone interested in agriculture should pay attention to the work you're doing. But for the general public, um, why would the work that you're doing be important for you know John or I, who again probably our whole lives have been impacted by the work your agency is doing, but we have no idea about that impact. Well, one reason you probably don't have any idea is that you don't have to worry about getting food when you go to the grocery store. That's a good point. So our estimates, you know, help people understand not only what's being produced, but what's how much is in storage. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. so, uh, you know, what 
what the capacity we have as a nation to feed our people, which is which is really important. And that's one reason that urban agriculture is becoming of greater interest because people would like to be able to uh, buy, afford to buy fresh fruit food uh, close to where they live. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't. I had no idea that you were also est- involved in estimating what's in storage. And if you're doing something like estimating what's in storage, you're probably having to think about how long can it be kept in storage and still be viable as a product. So do you, do you have that? That's, is that also integrated into the analyses you do? No, because the farmers are reporting to us what they have in storage, and I am sure that they're going to get it out before it goes bad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's, when you say in storage, it's in storage on the farm. Or, or in other locations, yes. Mm-hmm. But generally, the farmers will keep their uh, their corn or wheat or whatever they want in storage, either on the farm or in elevators. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay. That was just my ignorance, sorry. So so, I, so when it comes to survey data, the concern is always about sort of the issue of self-report and how how thorough and how accurate the information is that, that people are reporting. And so with something like this where you're thinking about how much food is stored – um, how much, you know, how much, um, you know, arable land there is in the United States to produce more food. Um, is there ever any concern about about that issue of self-reporting and whether whether it's not as um, not as not honest isn't the word I'm going to say, but maybe underestimated or overestimated? And are there ways that you when you're crunching the numbers are trying to sort of control for that? Well, there are a few surveys in which it seems that there is a little bit of bias. And over time, we've begun to figure that out. For example, uh, one way you can see that is if you have administrative data that's pretty solid. Mm -hmm. Examples would be slaughter data. So Mm -hmm. we know, have information on how many uh, cattle have been slaughtered uh, over a given time frame. And, And if our estimates of the number of cattle are way below those slaughtered, we know there's a problem, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. we can make some adjustments there. The same uh, cotton, it's, we know to uh, very closely how many bales of cotton have been ginned in any given year. And so that, too, is another way that we continually look to see how our survey data are performing relative to these accurate uh, administrative benchmarks. Oh, that's cool. That seems like that seems like a critical thing to do that kind of calibration. That's that's a neat neat thing. Mm-hmm. Among all the studies that that are conducted, what's the hardest study to conduct? Mm-hmm. What's the hardest question to try to answer in the work that you guys do? It's that's an interesting <laughs> question that I immediately think of urban agriculture because okay. uh, that's dominated with uh, small farms that are very diverse in nature, widely dispersed, going in and out of business, so more transient than the traditional rural agriculture that uh, many people think of. And that type of a population is very challenging if we want to say how many urban farms are there in uh, various states. That's an extremely challenging question to answer. Mm Is there anything in the data that you've seen over time that sort of gives you pause, that makes you sort of stop and and think a little bit, or that you find, again, surprising? You know, uh, I can't think of a specific example, but it's not uncommon for me to walk down the hall and someone say, I need to talk to you about (laughs) such and such 
because that just doesn't look right to me. Mm-hmm. And when people are working in a particular area for a long time, anytime they tell me that, I stop and look because there's something has happened. It could be in the uh, data collection. It could have been a weather event that disrupted uh, data collection or caused some harm to the crop, and, and something is happening. And we just want to be sure that if, so, if that is the case, that we begin to adjust how we account for those uh, that commodity. Mm-hmm. Well, Linda, thank you so much for being here. I grew up in farm country, and I feel like I learned so much talking to you that I had no idea about, you know, having grown up amongst cornfields and cattle. So, again, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. That's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter or iTunes. If you'd like to share your thoughts on our program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. Thank you.